Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. They worship in ways that I don't want you to worship. They practice sex in a way that I don't want you to practice sex. And so as he tells them, look, the reason why I want you to be different is because I am the Lord, your God. I believe for every person that says I'm a Christian, Jesus is the Lord of my life, then the cause for my obedience, the reason, the primary reason why I want to submit to and obey God, it's not so God will bless me. It's not so everything will go well. It's not so I'll get my way. It's not so if I be really good, God will hook me up with this stuff over here. It's because I said Jesus is Lord of my life. A lot of people, Christians and otherwise, believe that God set down rules just to be difficult or to alienate certain individuals. But if you're truly following Christ, you know that's not a reason at all. Pastor Bill reminds us today that God puts laws in place in order to guide us and protect us from both ourselves and others. As a Christian, you don't follow God's law so that you can be blessed or happy. You follow them because He is the Lord of your life and you know He only wants what's best for you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 18 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Right out the gate, you know, pretty much the whole study is going to be about different aspects of sexual purity. Um, Up until this point in Leviticus, God has been giving them uh, all the instructions on how to offer sacrifices, how to deal with the fact that they were imperfect people, they were sinners, and how to maintain a relationship with the Lord. He had given uh, lengthy instructions on the priest's outfits and their behavior and, and all those different things. And now as we come to chapter 18, the next three chapters, 18, 19, and 20, um, is a lot of God giving instruction. This, there's a phrase that you're going to see uh, 26 times in the next three chapters, and it's the phrase, I am the Lord, your God. And so as God is telling them, don't do this. I don't want you to do that. I want you to do these things. He'll say afterwards, as far as what's why, Lord, what's the reason why? And the reason that God provides is because I am the Lord, your God. And it's a little different than the parent that tells their kid, because I said so, because I'm your daddy. You know, it's a little different than that. Um, When God says, look, I'm telling you not to do that because I am the Lord, your God. This is what he's saying, and I want to say it right up front because we're going to see it over and over again. God is telling this group of people that came out of 400 years in Egypt from a people that were not God's people, and they're getting ready to go into Canaan to another people that are not God's people. And as they came out of Egypt, there were behaviors, worship practices that were not of God, that God didn't want them to to, to pick up and carry with them. As they're getting ready to go into Canaan, Canaan's even worse than Egypt. And God is saying, look, you guys are getting ready to go into an area where people do things in a different way than what I want for you. They worship in ways that I don't want you to worship. They practice sex in a way that I don't want you to practice sex. And so as he tells them, look, the reason why I want you to be different is because I am the Lord, your God. I believe for every person that says I'm a Christian, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Then the cause for my obedience, the reason, the primary reason why I want to submit to and obey God It's not so God will bless me. It's not so everything will go well. It's not so I'll get my way. It's not so if I be really good, God will hook me up with this stuff over here. It's because I said Jesus is Lord of my life. He's the Lord, my God. And what does the word Lord mean? It means master. I can't call Jesus the Lord of my life and don't do what he tells me to do. Not allow him to be the master of my life. Jesus even said to a group, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
but don't do the things that I tell you to do. Y'all lying. I'm not the Lord of your life. You're the Lord of your life. So that's kind of the backdrop of chapter 18. As we move into it, um, God is giving out instructions to Israel for their sexual purity. And I just want you to keep in mind that they're they're coming out of Egypt. Egypt had all kind of faulty practices. And as they go into Canaan, Canaan did a lot of things that are weird. And God is telling them as they go, it'd be like if your kid was getting ready to go away to college somewhere in Vegas, let's say, Sin City. You know, if they were getting ready to go to college in Vegas, you say, look now, I mean, people in college be tearing up anyway. But in Vegas, there's a whole lot of things available. You know, I mean, you just be giving them, uh, when you see that guy on the corner handing them things, that don't buy one. You know, when you see them girls with them outfit, don't go into that place. You know, you just warn them in advance when you get there. Don't do that. Don't do what they're doing. I want you to live like this. So look at chapter 18, verse one. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God comes right out the gate. He said, go talk to the children of Israel and tell them before you tell them what I want them to do. Tell them this. Tell them, hey, guys, I am the Lord, your God. I'm the master and I am your God. Getting ready to tell you some things that I want you to do. Verse three. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. And so exactly what God tells them. Hey, the stuff you guys saw in Egypt, it's not my will for your life. And the stuff you're about ready to see in Canaan, not my will for your life. How does this relate to you and I? As believers, right, we're in the world. We're in a, we're in a wicked world. The practices of the world that we live in right now, a majority of the practices are not in keeping with the word of God and the will of God for his people. Um, the sexual practices of our culture where we live right now, they're not the practices that God would have us to do. It's typical for a couple to, if they're considering marriage, it's, it's, it's typical that they would just move in together and you know just start living like they're married it's actually encouraged in secular mar premarital counseling they say you got to try it out you guys just move in together you got to make sure you're compatible you got to make sure you're sexually compatible and all these different things god doesn't say that god said don't try it out god said trust me right just, just that's the one i tell you that, that it's gonna work out if that's the one i called you to marry but we live in a world that says and that's what i mean everybody does it so you're the eyeball of you're like no nah, i'm not gonna do that God says save sex for what? Some people think you're supposed to save sex until you get a, a promise ring. <laughs> that, that's not what the Bible says. Save sex until you get engaged. Not what the Bible says. Save sex until you're really, really, really sure that they're going to, you, you really trust that they've convinced you that they're going to stick around. God says save it until after you get married. So I want you to hold out on the sexual relationship to after you get married. That's what God says. That's what God wants. That's not what most people do in the culture in which we live. Um, most people experiment with sex throughout their life until they get married. By the time they get married, they had uh, who knows how many, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends that they have been with. That brings that gives a whole lot of drama that that brings to the marital relationship. God says, what I want for two people to do is a wait. Just focus on your relationship with me. And when I bring you somebody to marry, save yourself and give yourself all the way to them. And then after you get married, God says, now I command you to do it and do it some more and be fruitful and multiply and make some babies. But before marriage, God says, hold off, don't go there. And so he says, look, the practices of Egypt and the practices of Canaan, I don't want you to do. Verse four, 
You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. Once again, he says, I am the Lord, your God. My judgments, my ordinances are his words. Guys, I've given you word, my word. I've given you judgments. I've given you ordinances, instructions. I want you to keep my word. It's what he wants for them. It's what he wants for us too. Verse five, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And so here God says, look, if you do these things, you're going to live by them. They're going to cause you to live. And that's really what God wants for you and I. He wants us to live, right? Some people think God's rules, God's restrictions, God's laws are, it's like, I think God's trying to box me in. God's trying to keep me from enjoying my youth. I want to enjoy my youth and tear up. And then when I'm old and raggedy, I'm going to get saved. Um, But it don't usually work out that way. God is not ever trying to keep something good from you. God's trying to preserve you for something good. God's trying to keep us from things that he knows will hurt us. And since we're going to talk about sexual sin, I just will put this in your head up front. Think about how many woes and how much heartache and how much difficulty people, probably us in the room here as well, have endured and gone through in our life just because we didn't do it the way God prescribed. How many people have been hurt through relationships? How many people have babies with, without parents? How many, I mean, how many situations do we have that cause heartache and, and pain and difficulty where, man, if, if people had just done it God's way, it wouldn't be that way. What's the epidemic in our culture right now? Kids with no daddies. How come there's so many kids without dads? Because there's so many people making kids outside of a marriage covenant. Now, it would be one thing because there's one group that wants to blame it all on the guys. There's all them deadbeat dads. No, I don't, I don't ascribe to that. Unless all them guys had raped all them girls and made babies and took off, I'd go for it. But you had two consenting adults sin against God together, make a baby outside of a commitment. Why did she lay down with him when there was no commitment? You, you did that to your kid. You laid down and made a kid without a commitment for marriage. Now your kid don't have a dad. You did that. Men are responsible too. Men are running around, laying down, sowing as much seed as they can sow, got babies in 20 states. That's wrong too. In either case, right, it's wrong. It's a sin against God, and our culture is paying for it. Epidemic. Daughters with no dads. Sons with no dads. Men that are growing up that never had a dad show them how to be a dad. All those things that are challenging our society. And you look at it, you step back and say, man, if if people had just done it God's way, this wouldn't be. But the reason that this is is because a majority that didn't do it God's way. And I don't say this to beat anybody down that that's the truth. It's the truth for me. When I didn't know God, I participated in all those things. I brought a child into the world when I was not married and it was difficult for me and I made life difficult on her. I did not give that child the best case scenario. That's just the reality. I live with that pain that my other kids, I got saved, I got married. They got a mom and a dad at home, both say, both say the same thing. Um, They had the best case scenario. But I had one when I was 19 that didn't get that um, because I was out there sinning and misbehaving, doing what I was doing. And. I paid for it, but she's paid for it, too. Um, she didn't ask to be brought into the scenario that I brought her into, but she's in it. So I don't say this to beat anybody down. I'm just saying it's a reality in our culture. And you can't do anything about what you've done except repent. But for everybody here that's not doing it or haven't done it or maybe you're in the midst of doing it now, I pray that you'll hear this and say, I better stop that mess. You better get a new vision for your life and how you're going to move forward in these things. Amen. So moving on, it says in verse six, um, none of you shall approach anyone who is near to kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. We're going to see this phrase several times to uncover their nakedness. So I want to explain it right now. It doesn't just mean to like 
take off somebody's clothes, look at their nakedness. It's more than that. Um, it's to uncover their nakedness uh, and it's to have sex with them. So it's an idiom that's talking about, when it talks about uncovering their nakedness, it means all these people that he's getting ready to lay out, all these different relationships, God is saying, I don't want you to have sex with these people right here. So we want to know right up front as God's getting ready to list several different people, all family relations where God says you shouldn't have sex. And I'm going to tell you right now that we'll go read them. You're going to hear this and be shocked. And I want to say this, that God never warned us to not do something that people aren't doing. After we get through reading this section, God's going to say that because this is what the Canaanites are doing. They're doing the things I'm telling you not to do. So verse seven is going to tell us not to have sex with our mother. You'd think that would go without saying, but, you know, if it had to be said, somebody was doing it. Um, he says in verse eight, not to have sex with your stepmother. In verse nine, not to have sex with your sister or with your half sister. Um, verse 10, not to have sex with your granddaughter. Verse 11, not to have sex with the granddaughter of the stepmother. Verse 12 and 13, not to have sex with your auntie. Verse 14, not to have sex with your uncle. And he's going to go on from there. And so let's start reading now verse 7. It says, the nakedness of your father and the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And again, I, re I first read that and I just thought that, that's just, that just seemed like it don't even need to be said. But I know God. And God never says anything that doesn't need to be said. And so we look at this and we think most of us, I think, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody here is kind of like me where it's like, that's, that's my mom and my daddy. That's here. I didn't need to hear that. You know, I mean, can we go on to the next verse? But just consider this when when you don't let God govern your morality, you don't know how far immorality is going to take you. Cultures that have started out with. I know God said you got to wait to get married. We're going to go against that. And then before you know it, well, we're not going to even get married at all. We're just going to try and have sex with as many people as we can over time. And until we get old and finally find somebody to marry, then the same culture that says that says, I think a guy and a guy can lay down together. And I think a woman and a woman could lay down together. And it just goes on and on and on. And so where does it stop at? When is it too much? The same people that are arguing for some of the same sex things, you look at that and just think it won't be long before they're arguing for some of the stuff that God is forbidding here. Well, how come two people that love each other can't just get married? How come a brother can't marry his sister? That's kind of arguments they're putting. How come if a man and a man love each other, they can't just get married? And Bo and Bruce can go on and kiss and get married. You know, like if they can do it before you know it, they're going to be looking at these other things that we think are obscene and hideous, but that's the way of the world. It's the, it's, there's no limit to the immorality. There's no limit to where the devil will take you with immorality when you don't let God govern your life. And so first thing he says, not your mother, not your father, which again, I would think would just be obvious, but God has to say it. And I would say this as well, because there are many children. Um, there are children in, in our world that have been against their own will. Uh, this has been done to them by a mother. That's happened by a father. It has happened. It's not norm. It's not the norm. It's, but it happens where you have adults molesting kids. And so the, as we go through the list, we may not see it as, you know, something, you know, that's really applicable. But we're going to look at all the different relationships. And there are uncles and there are other relationships where people have done these very things. And so to the group that would be afflicted in that way, things done against your will in these sort of family relationships, um, I would just pause and tell you that. And I remember doing a Q&A with high school kids one time. And it was a, I would do a, a Q&A where the kids could anonymously put in questions. And I remember getting a question and it was from a young lady. I don't know, you know, there was anonymous, but I knew it was a girl. And she said that 
she had been molested multiple times by an uncle and wanted to know that in God's eyes, did she still have purity or was she considered impure now? Her virginity, she didn't give her virginity away. It was taken away from her against her will. And, you know, my heart broke as I read this question. I just thought, man, she didn't do it. I mean, I, I, I went in on the question. I made sure and answered it. And I told her, I said, you know, whoever wrote that, you know, you have not sinned. Yes, in God's eyes, you are absolutely pure. You know, he wants to minister to you, comfort you because that was done to you against your will. God, God, there's nothing dirty. There's nothing. There's nothing that you have done. You are not dirty. There's, there shouldn't be any shame on you. Um, but many people live with that. They care. They begin to carry the guilt and carry the shame and wonder, you know, well, I, I let it happen. You were you were seven years old. It didn't let it's, just, it's, it's not your fault. You know, you were young. You were you were a child. I would say to anybody that's had that and has never brought it to the light, never been ministered to, never allowed uh, for a time for the Lord to just minister to you. One of the reasons Jesus said he came, he said, I came to heal the broken heart. And there are people broken hearted over many things. And a lot of them are related to sexual things that, were, that took place. Um, there are people that are confused because someone adult brought confusion and perversion to them when they were a child. Um, they didn't do this to themselves, but it was brought into their life. And so you need the Lord to minister. He's here to minister to you. And so if you're that, that's you. Um, I would just encourage you that you would take that to the Lord. If you if you want counsel, if you want someone to walk you through it, um, we're here for that. We'd love to walk you through those things and take you through the scriptures. But that I hate to think that someone will be living with guilt and shame about something that was imposed upon them and, and, and as a young person. And so just wanted to say that. Verse 9, moving on. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. Uh, it is your father's nakedness. So, again, it would seem like an obvious thing. That would be your mother or your stepmother. Um, I would point out, if you write notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Paul was rebuking the church in Corinth because they were boasting about how gracious they were and how accepting they were of everybody. And they had a person in their congregation. It was a young man that was sleeping with his father's wife. And they were saying like, hey, we're a good church because we're accepting of this too. And Paul had to tell him, no, you can't be accepting of that. You got to boot them out. He said, you need, to, you need to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. And I want to point out that as you get to 2 Corinthians, Paul tells him, because the guy did repent, God tells him, make sure you guys go and reaffirm your love for him and receive him back into the body because he did repent. And so I just would point that out within the body of believers. We don't want to be those that let sin run rampant. You know, there's there's segments of the church today where they let things just be. Um, we're just going to accept everybody and everything. I'm telling y'all not here. We won't just accept everybody and everything. Anybody can walk through these doors and say, I, I need the Lord. The church is a spiritual hospital. Anybody is welcome. I don't care what they come in with. They can come in an addict. They can come in a, in sexual sin. They can come in, used to be a klepto, keep myself close. They can come in here with whatever issues they had and we want to minister to them. But you can't come here and decide, you know what, I, I heard the gospel. Sounded okay to me. I'm not going to change my life. I'm going to hang out here and see how many of these women I can't get with. Not here. Not going down. I promise. I, I'm a I'm wolf slayer. You'll be gone. Um, it won't happen here. We won't have some homosexual guys up here doing worship for y'all. Swinging like this and such. You know, it's not going to happen. Not going to do it. We'll love them. We'll minister to them. We're not gonna, they're not going to be up here doing that. It'll never happen. Um, we're not supposed to be that accepting. You guys know that? That's not accepting. That's, that's almost promoting at a, at a point. 
Anybody can come through. We, we're supposed to, and we're wrong if we don't. We're supposed to love everybody with the truth of the gospel. That, oh man, I, I'm going to talk to you about that. That thing right there. That, you die like that, bro, you go to hell. But the Lord loves you. And he made a way for you. He did this for you. That's my job for the person that comes in and wrapped in something um, until they get free. And when they get free, then praise the Lord. He can use them and do great things with their lives. But it's important to note that we don't just accept all those things. The Corinthian church got rebuked. They were proud of how accepting they had become. And Paul said, man, no, 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 no. That's a shame. Y'all got sin in the church that the world don't even do. And he told them they needed to repent and they needed to put that person out and Interesting in the church discipline in the putting them out for the destruction of their flesh. That's how the person finally repented They said you mean I can't come to fellowship. I can't come to church. I mean, I'm that bad And then he repented, you know what happened today? We'll kick them out and they'll be at the church down the street talking about how, how unloving we were And so, you know, the, the church is so unhealthy today that this kind of mess goes on because if someone was here in some sin like that And we said, hey, man, you cannot come back here like that. You're gonna have to repent of that thing They'd be down the street somewhere in leadership in a week, you know, and, and, and so that's that's the, that just speaks to the the unhealthiness of the church today. But that's what's supposed to happen. All right. Moving on. Verse nine again, it says the nakedness of the sister, the daughter of your father, uh, the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you should not uncover. So rather it's a sister or a stepsister. Some of you might think well, it's not my real sister. We're not blood related, <laughs> you know, my half or whatever. God says, no, 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 not that either. No, not your sister, not your half sister, not the sister born at, at your mom's house. No. Verse 10, the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover for there is your own nakedness. These are grandbabies. And again, I just read that and I think, hey, you shouldn't have to say that. These are grandbabies. You know, I, most people I know that the grandparents adore the grandbaby. That's like the joy of old life. Some grandbabies. I'm going to spoil them, rotten, and send them back home, cutting up, high on sugar. You know, that's the, that's the high point of, of, of getting older. I done raised kids. I'm done with them. Now the empty nest is happening. I'm bummed out from the empty nest, and then they have some babies, and it all gets better again. And they bring the, ba- bring, bring the grandbabies. You get to live it up. That's what's supposed to be. Grandkids are supposed to just bring another, a second phase of joy as you grow older. But here God is saying, hey, that, that relationship's been defiled over here in Canaan. People taking advantage of the grandbabies. So he says, hey, not with your grandkids either. Again, I read these things and I think, did that really need to be said? God never wastes words and he never wastes warnings. It, it must have needed to be said because he's saying it. Verse 11 now says, the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter. So your father's wife, maybe stepmom's, her daughter. So again, might not be blood relation, might be, you know, stepsister, distant stepsister. God is saying, don't, don't go there. Don't, it's family, next of kin to you. Shouldn't be the case. Verse 12, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. That'd be your auntie. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. She is near kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, uncle, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Verse 16, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. And so now you're speaking to brothers. Not supposed to file your brother's wife over and so on. Verse 17, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. 
nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near kin. It is wickedness. So here he says, you know, God's not supposed to have a woman and her daughter. Pastor Bill Buffington will share more from the book of Leviticus right here on A Transforming Word. But that's all we have time for today. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood, and our prayer is that this ministry touches your faith in such a way that you grow closer to Jesus. We know just how hard it is to live like Christ in a world full of darkness. But just as the Israelites had to learn, God is near. Even when you don't see Him, even when you don't feel Him, even when you don't understand Him, He is near and He is for you. His grace is endless and His love is deep. When the pressures of this world get to you, remember who you are in Him. If you'd like to learn more about the book of Leviticus and you'd like to study the Bible more deeply, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and you'll find resources and tools to help you continue to grow in your faith. Before we go, we also want to let you know that you can connect with us on social media too. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll add some uplifting content to your week. A Transforming Word is a broadcast on the radio, and our goal is to help spread the good news of the gospel. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. Thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in. To learn more from Leviticus, be sure to join us next time right here on A Transforming Word.